while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome back. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. I'm Chris. And we're joined now uh, by recently re-elected Plymouth County District Attorney Tim Cruz. Hey, DA Cruz. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. So, um, first question is, so you you were re-elected. It wasn't, frankly, wasn't even close. No. None of your your uh, re-election efforts have been... Uh, seem to have been difficult. Um, this year was a tough year for Republicans. Uh, obviously, Tom Hodgson's not going to be a sheriff anymore. They flipped two countywide seats uh, for DA and sheriff in, in Barnstable County to Democrats. How were you as a Republican able to survive uh, the the blue wave here in Massachusetts? You know, I, I think we just really worked hard, like uh, we always do. We do work hard at the job. We work hard at the politics of it. It's getting out there, getting the word out as to what we're doing here and talk about all the positive changes I think that were made here in our county to make our county better and stronger. Uh, make sure that people understand, you know, our job is to preserve, promote, and protect the pu- public safety in Plymouth County. And I think people understand that. And that's why we've done a good job over the last uh, number of years. Tim, it was, you really had <clears throat> major headwinds with uh, the deal campaign. Um, Maura Healy had tremendous coattails in other parts of the district, but not with you. You came through it shining as you usually do. Congratulations. No, I, I appreciate it, Chris. I mean, I mean, listen, like I said, everybody worked really hard. I'm very appreciative of the efforts of my team uh, working together. That's what it is. It's the way we deal with everything. Everything is a team effort. Nobody by themselves can get anything done. If we're all willing to put together and work together, we can really make some good things happen. I think that's what we've been doing. And I think that's why we've been successful. People understand that about uh, you know, the public safety team here in Plymouth County, uh, myself, Sheriff McDonald, uh, and a lot of the other law and order people that are down here that want to make sure we can do our jobs and work together. And when you do that, you can make a big difference. So, uh, DA Cruz, I understand uh, we, we were here on election night till um, like one in the morning, and uh, we... I was I was in contact with people that were around, uh, you know, that were close to the, this your your election over in Plymouth County. They were telling me that you know e- even when the results were clear, your opponent was holding off on on making a concession. Um, was there a concession call made to you by between your uh, re-election victory and uh, this show today? Uh, no, I, I haven't received a call from my opponent in, in this race. I know earlier that night um, there was some communications between another radio station and his camp, and I think they, that their response, probably around 10 or 11 o'clock, I think it was, was that they were going to wait till every vote was counted, uh, and that's pretty much the last I heard of it. So uh, hmm. that's interesting. So we're speaking uh, with uh, Plymouth County District Attorney uh, Tim Cruz, who was just reelected to another four-year term. So, D.A. Cruz, um, 
now that you've been reelected, that's behind you. Um, what is your what are you looking forward to starting that you might have been holding off uh, while you were waiting for this campaign to be over? No, I, I think I'm looking forward to expanding on what we're doing here. I, I, I really believe what we're doing is working. And I believe, you know, trying to help kids on the front end of what we deal with, kids who are witnessing trauma, kids who are drug endangered, kids who have adverse childhood experiences, kids who are dealing with significant mental health issues on the front end of the criminal justice system. We need to keep them out of the criminal justice system. Um, very much looking forward to working with the, the National Drug Endangered Children a Collaborative that we've been a part of for a couple of years now and trying to get that here to our county. I really think that going in that direction, we can help even more kids stay out of the system, watch our crime numbers continue to go down, and watch our incarceration rates go down. That makes a huge difference. It's everything together. And I think that, you know, obviously on the back end, it's, it's really important for us to continue to work and help uh, the inmates who are coming back uh, coming back to our, uh, our communities, that we're going to put, put them in a position where they can get really good jobs, help them get education, help them with anger management issues, help them with drug issues, because that's smart. Keeping people out of the system is smart. If we work together, we can do that. And we've made a lot of great successes, and we need to continue to do more. We're speaking with District Attorney uh, of Plymouth County, uh, Tim Cruz. Tim, um, one of the things that you really shocked me with was in the, in the couple of visits we had with you, you mentioned the extremely low number of people that are actually incarcerated in your county at the House of Correction. Right. Maybe you could, you could go over that again. Cause I, th- I know both Marcus and I were really stunned by that. Yeah, the, the numbers have, have gone down precipitously, not just in Plymouth County, but throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Massachusetts is now 50 out of 50 states regarding the rate of incarceration rates per population. That means we're, this is the one of the rare times where it's good to come in last. This is that we have less people in jail. So at our Plymouth County House of Correction, I think when I spoke a few weeks back, uh, the number at that time was approximately 80 people were doing time at the Plymouth County House of Correction. And at the same time, our Department of Correction, where, as you know, that's where collectively all 11 DAs and 14 counties, where the individuals are convicted of the most serious crimes, murder, rape, drug trafficking, human trafficking, those numbers are also down significantly, more than 50% over the course of the last decade. Once again, I think what that shows you is, is that we've been smarter on crime. We've been smarter on trying to help people. We're smarter on also, at the same time, helping guys come back in the community. But also in the middle, we also need to continue to hold the people accountable, the people who are out there who are hurting other people. When you put that whole package together and you can make it fit into your county, into your community, into the Commonwealth, Great things can happen, and I think that's what's happening in Plymouth County and a lot of our adjoining counties. The numbers are very similar. So uh, we're speaking with uh, Plymouth County District Attorney Tim Cruz, who was just reelected to another four-year term uh, as DA. So you talked to, about a, a little bit about the programs you're doing. I remember when you came in uh, with us for the first time towards the end of the summer, you had said, uh, you know, we're not your grandfather's DA's office. You had um, right. a whole cache of, of programs you're, you're talking about doing uh, doing outreach and, and, a, and a drug, uh, you said a national collaborative uh, for um, some type of uh, like drug rehabilitation or, or enforcement. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've been receiving, you know, working hard getting grants, both federal and state grants, and trying to get that money into our community. We've been able to get, uh, in my tenure as DA, almost $25 million back into our community, which flows through us. We don't take any money out of it, and we put it right back in there, whether it be drug-free community grants, whether it be Project Safe Neighborhood trying to deal with violence in our urban communities, weed and seed, another issue for urban communities, 
And at the same time, we're just getting human trafficking grants, trying to get in front of human trafficking, making sure people can understand that there's a lot of education out there that we need to continue to work at. And at the same time, deal with our nationally accredited children's advocacy center on the front end, the kids that get hurt uh, physically or sexually every year, making sure that we can continue to get those kids out of the cycle. Kids who are not getting the help that they need, these victims can very well become perpetrators if they don't get the help. So that's what we're trying to do on that front end with those kids. And at the same time now, I think what we're seeing is that the criminal justice system, unfortunately, is really the depository of mental health and drug issues. That's why we have drug courts. That's why we have mental health courts and veterans courts, specialized courts to help people, but at the same time to hold them accountable. And if you do that, I think, you know, people understand that, you know, yes, I can do this and I can recidivate. I can commit a new crime and I'm going to go back to jail. People don't want to go to jail. Right. We have significant issues going on now with our drug issues, with our, uh, our COVID issues, our mental health issues. All of these things, unfortunately, end up in a criminal justice system that is many times ill-prepared to deal with it. So how can we take something that's really unusual to us as lawyers, uh, prosecutors, uh, how do we take that? And how do we morph it in trying what's best for our community? I think that's what we've been doing. Um, and I think as we go out and we talk, I talk to the other DAs often. You know, we have another, our monthly meeting tomorrow again. Uh, and at that point, we'll, we'll go through our next issues, uh, making sure that we can uh, uh, work together. If I have a program that I do here in Plymouth County, I, I'm happy to share it with my other fellow brothers and sisters of the DAs. And they may take it. They may take it and tweak it, change it, make it fit for their county. We're all a little bit different. I think working together makes a huge difference, and I think we've been able to do that. Wait, so you have a monthly meeting with the DAs? Yeah, we've been doing that for years. We're the member of the Massachusetts District Attorneys Association. Right, you're the vice president. Uh, we've been meeting. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I've become president again tomorrow. I think it's my, my fourth or fifth time as president. You yeah, keep um, on winning. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. You know, it's good because, you know, as you said earlier, I mean, I'm also uh, the only Republican DA left in the state. Yes. Uh, and... That's why I need to continue to work with, uh, you know, the other the other DAs, and, and we do. We we work very relatively apolitical for the most part. Um, we sit at our tables, we talk about what we believe is good for our communities, what laws are good, how we can work together with our budget issues, how can we continue to deal with the challenges that we all deal with, and how can we get the best ideas and go forward. We're speaking with our District Attorney of Plymouth County, uh, Tim Tim Cruz. Tim, one of the things we talked about uh, in your visits here is the amount of money that is not paid or that it should be paid, but maybe isn't yet to, to your young prosecutors. And what, what a problem that is trying to get new guys and women and retain them. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been an issue for years. And right. this is one of those instances where all of the DAs have worked together over the course of the last six, seven years. Uh, the, the starting salary for an assistant DA in our County and pretty much across uh, the Commonwealth about five or six years ago was thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars. Ridiculous. I mean, you you can't you can barely afford to pay your college, never mind your law school loan, right? Right. And never mind live. So we worked really hard uh, with our legis with the legislatures, working with the speakers and the, the Senate presidents and the administrations. And now, when we begin in January, uh, in those five or six years, it went from from thirty-seven five, it's going up to about sixty-eight five. So I think you know we've almost doubled it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, there's still some some room to continue to work because we have to make sure we have a livable, workable wage for the men and women who are making take, making this commitment to public service, making sure that they understand that you know we're there with them. You're gonna, we're going to give you great experience, and these are things you can use in your life when you if you leave the DA's office down the road. 
But at the same time, we're working really hard to make sure that you can have a better life, you can make sure you can get the monies that you deserve, uh, and that we can go forward from there. So I think the, we're going to continue to work in that fashion, making sure that all we can get the monies for our, not just our lawyers, but also for our victimless advocates, sure. for our IT department, yeah. for our admins. You know, always trying to get more and more resources. And, and now I think in any business, uh, getting new employees is a challenge. And yes. It's no different than the DA's office. We're having a challenges as never before, trying to get people in the door, uh, making sure that they understand that you know we're here for them and we need them to be there for us. We're speaking with Plymouth County District Attorney Tim Cruz, who, who was just reelected uh, to another four-year term. So one of the th- ongoing issues will be in the next legislative session will be the dangerousness bill. Um, you've been an advocate of it. Uh, I know uh, DA Tom Quinn down here in southeastern Massachusetts has been, has been an advocate of it. There's a couple new DAs this cycle. I'm not sure where everybody's positioned on I do have the Cape and Islands DA com- uh, coming in tomorrow. But w- what are you going to – what do you – what are you guys going to put forward? Uh, what kind of effort are you guys going to put forward um, on advocating for that bill uh, next session on Beacon Hill? And, and and just broadly tell us why you support the dangerousness bill. Well, I mean, I, I, I think what will happen is once the new DAs get on board, which will be in sometime in January, and once we all collectively get together and have a conversation, what we will do, which we do every year, is we try to pick five or six pieces of legislation that we collectively can all agree to. Because we, between all, all 11 of us, there's a lot of legislation out there that we'd like to work on. Okay. But we try to work together on five or six pieces that we know that are manageable so we can get in front of the appropriate people up on Beacon Hill. I'm pretty confident the dangerous dangerous bill will continue to be there and gives us an opportunity to expand the ability to uh, have a a bigger list of cases. I think it was just a case in Bristol County the other day regarding uh, motor vehicle manslaughter that didn't fit the parameters of that. Uh, And we should be able to put ourselves in a position for some sexual abuse child cases that doesn't fit in the 58-day hearings right now. So we were able to make that determination. And I think the thing that's important for people to understand is that the district attorney makes uh, an argument for we're making an, an accusation that John Doe should be held as a dangerous person. Now, just because we say that doesn't mean it happens. Right, right. He's got a def- that person has a defense attorney, and the judge is sitting here. The judge is going to have a hearing within the three business days to make a determination whether or not that person fits the parameters of the definition of a dangerous person by that statute, or whether or not it fits in there with all. So we want to expand it. We want to make sure that we can also have a, a longer time period that people are being held because of the. You know, it's really very difficult to get a case tried within 90 or 120 days especially many times when you're waiting for drugs, you're waiting for forensics to come back. Uh, and those things take time. It doesn't happen overnight, you know, like we see on television. You can get it done in 24 hours. It just doesn't work that way. So I think we're trying to expand that. I'm very hopeful also we're going to try to expand uh, the wiretap statute. Okay. I think that's another very important tool that we don't use because of the way that it's been interpreted by our SJC for the last decade or so. And I think, you know, Judge Gantz back then in his, and his decision for that, for the wiretap statute, gave some, this is a few words that it needs to be put in there to allow us to expand it to deal with homicides and to deal with rapes and to deal with violent crime. Things like that that are really important. And I'm sure we're going to have other yeah. things that we'll be talking about, whatever the, the crime issue is going on at that time. So, so you're, so just to be clear, you're looking for, uh, uh your law, you're advocating for a law to be passed to give, uh, um, more expansive application to when, uh, you or law enforcement agency can request a, uh, wiretap or get a warrant for a wiretap. Yeah, and, and once again, it's getting a, a warrant for a wiretap is very comparable 
to getting an arrest warrant, to getting a search warrant. Sure. It's got to be approved by a judge. Yeah. We can't just say, I'm going to wiretap this guy's house and go in there and put a tap up. It doesn't right. work that way. Right. We have to have sufficient probable cause. It's got to go in front of a clerk magistrate or a judge. They have to give us an authorization. There's a limited time period that we can do it. And then we do it. If we, if we need to expand that time frame, we have to go back in front of the judge and make a motion to see here's why we're trying to expand it. So it's not just, you know, we're going willy-nilly to do this stuff. What we're doing is making sure that we can bring this information in the way that we're supposed to in front of a neutral and detached person, and they can make the decision based upon the evidence we present them and go forward. And like I said before also, wiretaps don't just happen because they're very expensive to do. You know, whether you're dealing with individuals, you know, uh, if you're going to go for a week and you have to have people listen to the wires, you may have to have interpreters that you have to pay, and many times they're cost prohibitive. The only times we're really going to be dealing with those are really an incredibly large uh, proportion of cases that are going on right now uh, to make sure we can get dangerous things off the road or dangerous people uh, off the streets. I think that's important to do, and we should at least have the ability to go in front of a court and be heard. And right now we're not able to do that in a lot of the stuff. So, so Tim, um, what, you know, the former district attorney here in Bristol County, Paul Walsh, a friend of ours, and uh, Paul said one of the, you, you can say it now because you just got reelected, but he said one of the worst things that ever happened for district attorneys is the rise of crime television, you know? Everybody sees it on TV, they think that you can just do it the way they do it in SCI and these other shows. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's crime to conviction in 60 minutes with commercials. Right, uh, right. People think, they, they think it happens like that. Uh, that's why, you know, whenever I go out and I talk to, to groups of people, I'll ask them if, if they know what the DA does, and usually nobody knows really what the DA does. And I'll ask them, do you watch Law & Order? Do you watch CSI? And you get, you kind of get them nodding their head, and I'll say, well, that's, there's nothing like that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's entertainment. That's right. not what we do. Uh, and I, I think you try to give them a, a grasp of what it is, what the DA does, what the ADAs do, uh, what the court system's about. Um, I think many times people think that they understand it, but... You know, it's not as glamorous uh, as some people may think it is. It's not as ugly as some people think it is. Like everything is kind of in the middle. It's kind of in the middle, I think. And I think that you always have to, whatever the cases are and the people and the victims, understand that, you know, you have a job to do in objective fashion to go forward in a good faith fashion, making sure you can try to get justice for people in your community. And that's a lot of weighing things on both sides for both the defendant and also for uh, the victims in, in the community. And I think that this is the sort of job that it does take some time to get used to that, to understand that your job is not being a zealous advocate for your, your client and defendant or being on the other end of it and not worrying about the defendant. You're kind of in the middle and you're looking to make your community better, safer. You're looking to also make sure you re receive just results. You know, many, many times now these people talk about DAs like all we're looking for is conviction. We want to throw people in jail. Nothing can be further from the truth. I don't, I don't want the wrong person in jail any more than anybody else does. I mean, A, it's wrong. And B, that also means if we have the wrong person in jail, that means the right person's out and about. Right. So, right. you know, yeah. we, we try to continue to work together uh, to try to make sure that we can do the job uh, as best as we can. You know, everybody's human. People make mistakes. And that's why we have conviction integrity units, and that's why we are, are always open to listening to somebody if they have some information for us, if it's viable. Uh, and we'll continue to do that and try to make sure that we can do the job. District Attorney Tim Cruz, congrats on your reelection, and we look forward to speaking with you more as um, your, your, your next term continues. That'd be great. Thanks a lot, guys. You have a good night. Thanks, Thanks. Congratulations. Thanks.
That was Plymouth County DA Tim Cruz, uh, soundly reelected the last of the Mohicans here in the uh, in southeastern Massachusetts after most of the Republicans basically got wiped out. Right. Um, and Thanks, Jeff Deal. <laughs> nice job, Jeff Deal. Oh, sincerely. Thank you, Jeff Deal. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Deal was a Democrat secret weapon. But Tim Cruz is one of the good ones. So we're going to take a break and we will be right back. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris and Marcus here on WBSM. Download the W. I could tell you half the war stories that the I on have. Air, the off-air podcast. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So so that was uh, DA Tim Cruz. Um, again, I think one of the good ones. Uh, and uh, one of the survivors, uh, you know, Sheriff. So I, I, I was going to ask him, but I opted not to. We'll get him another time, but it's too early right now. But he's got, he ought to be anyway on the short list for um, higher office um, if he wants it. He may not want it. Oh, yeah. You, know, you can ask him that. He's like, well, you know, I'm really focused on the well, work I'm the doing, and I'm so thankful for the people who sent me back for another four years. Right, I'm blessed right. to have this job. It's the best job in the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, but really, the bench for Republicans well, is very small now for higher office. I'm thinking about, we're, we, uh, we, we're, I'm thinking about if, first of all, yeah, running for governor, right? Right. Now, you know, he'd have to give up his DA seat because it's the same election year. So I don't know if he'd do that. Right. But like a gubernator, I think he'd be a good gubernatorial candidate. I think so as well. I think he'd be a good congressional candidate. Yes. Um, and that congressional district that he lives in is probably the next one to open. It's not only the next one to open, it's the most competitive. Certainly. I mean, Keating's there as long as he wants to be. Yes. But uh, he but doesn't want to be not. there. Right. He doesn't want to be there that long. Right. He, he said he's not going to be there for the next 10 years. Right. And he said, "Not even the." He said, "Probably not even the majority of the next ten years." He said that to me here on air a couple of years ago, right, or a year ago. Uh, it was in the spring when they were going uh, when they were having that spat with Auchincloss on redistricting. Okay, yeah, and he said, "I'm not going to be here for the next majority of the next ten years." Um, so, so that means a term or two, right? Right, uh, more, and then that seat's opening up. Yeah, I would think he's he's a candidate for that congressional seat. Um, I and think, again, I think you're right about that. It depends on what what part of the term he's in. Yeah, right. Because yeah. it's a freebie. Yeah, it's if a, he's allowed to keep the well, DA's that's up. the thing. So if it's during a presidential election year, it is a freebie. Right. But that also makes it diff- harder for him. It does. It, it certainly <laughs> that's, does. There's the rub, right? Right. Could be maybe you know after it could be a situation where you know a guy like him would be like, well, I've done everything that I wanted to do. This has been a great job. Let's see if I can go represent people in Congress. Right. Um, you know, we talked about potential congressional candidates in the ninth congressional district. If I guess, I, if I guess we're going to stumble upon this conversation here. Sure. Why not? Um, why not? Right. It's fun. Uh, Karen Polito moved to Dartmouth. Karen Polito, our Lieutenant governor has moved to Dartmouth. Yes. Now look, here's the thing. I don't mean to be a cynic, but, when you've been in an elected office as long as she has, she moved for a reason, and she didn't. Yeah. She didn't. She noticed who her neighbors were going to be. Right? Yeah, she moved here from the Worcester area, Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. Now it could be because she loves the smell of the ocean. Could be. But I think she loves the smell of politics more. Right? Yeah. She's an election. She's a political animal, right? In the best sense of the word. So. Well, she's been. She's had a lot of success. She's, right. Was a state rep. She was on the. She's you know part of the most popular gubernatorial administration in the country for the last eight years. That's right. So she would be a good candidate. She would be a very good candidate, and she's living right now in the district. And yeah. um, 
She's she's put roots down here, and she's been expanding those roots for a number of years. Other people, I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. So if she if she launched a campaign, I, I think she'd be a strong challenger. Yes. Um, the other person I'd be thinking of on the Democratic side would be someone like John Mitchell. I think, uh, I think Mayor Mitchell would absolutely have to look at that race. Julian Sear on the Cape, uh, who's made a national profile now after the Martha's Vineyard thing. Yes. Uh, even Dylan Fernandes, actually, I think would be a, would be a candidate for that office as well. Um, you got to look at maybe Mark Montigny. I think you have to look at Senator Montigny. Yeah. Um, and Senator Rodericks. I think Senator Mike Rodericks would have to be, would have to look at the I, I think that anybody with poli- political experience. Yeah has to look at that seat. An yeah. open congressional seat is very rare. And um, all of those people would, I think, do a good job in Congress. Yeah. The question becomes, do you want to move to Washington? Yeah, right. Exactly. But, you know, it's, 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 it's Mark says, Mo- you and I are both off the air told, told many people, the problem is you might win. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. The problem is you might win. There's about 40 or so. There's about 40. 40 or so members of Congress that live in their office. Yes. Literally. Because right. I remember that that was an issue. That was a discussion when AOC was like, I'm looking for apartments, but I haven't had a job. Like, you know, like I haven't been working on my campaign, so I'm looking for apartments in D.C. Boy, is it expensive. Right. And so even on $179,000, it's, you know, it might be cost prohibitive in a lot of cases. So there is about 40 or so, and maybe some are just more, I guess, frugal, about 40 or so members of Congress that live in their office. It's, which, I, I mean, I'm not saying it shouldn't be allowed, because I'm not really, a bit, I mean, I'm, I don't think it should be. It's got everything you need there. I don't think. They have a gymnasium downstairs. You can go shower. The, the, there's a bathroom in all the a full bathroom sure, in the offices. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it seems improper though to be sleeping in the Capitol. I don't know. I would agree with you. Um, but I don't know. I'm not a congressman. But it's not a big deal to me. Basically, is what I'm saying. No, I don't really. I w- that's why I wouldn't say you should be outlawed because I think that's a bridge too far. But it seems a little unbecoming, I guess. Um, yeah, if you can't live on one hundred and seventy thousand, um, it's a lot of it's 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 a lot of money to live in DC. It is especially a lot of money. now, especially now. Um, so to have your house at, in the district, a house in DC, uh, unless you've been doing it for a while, uh, it it does seem like a lot. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the um, the what fact of the matter is, about I forgot. Oh, we were talking about who, 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 who could be, run yeah. for. Who could run for higher office? Yeah, so who could run for higher office in like four years? Because we, we, we were running out of things to talk about, right. I guess, after the election. Well, we're not actually, because I, I actually want to talk about, and maybe we'll save this for the um, nine, ninth hour. Let's save it for the, the third hour. Okay. Um, I'm doing production notes on the air. But let's save this for the third hour, talk about the Ward 3 race. Yes, I think so. At nine o'clock, we're going to talk about the Ward 3 race. But for now, um, I li- kind of like this conversation about speculating about who could run for, let's say, governor. So. For governor, um, we we <laughs> the, Tim, Tim Cruz. The bench has become obviously. Uh, I'm thinking like Lou Evangelis in uh, the the sheriff of Worcester County. I think he's he's not he's a very tall guy, and it's it's also he's a, he's a Republican. He he got reelected this right. year, um, and he's and he's from Worcester. 
which is which is important. Very important. So that that's someone I could th- I, I would think of. I mean, here's the thing. I think before in the next four years, before you before any Republican candidate has to come forward, there has to be a change in leadership in the mass GOP. There has to be a change in messaging in the mass GOP so that someone knows if they're leaving their post to go run for governor, it's not a suicide mission. So, Marcus, you you put it all right there because the reality of it is is that given what Jeff Deal and uh, Jim Lyons just did, all credible candidates have to be putting their resume back in the drawer. Um, Why would you bother? Yeah. Unless, as you say, unless and until there's a change in leadership, donors come back in, Mm -hmm. why would you ever, ever, ever? Look what happened to um, Emirat. Amore. Amore. Amore, when he was trying to get his campaign going, they launched a challenger. Yes. A GOP writing candidate. Yeah. To try to undercut the man. And not only that, his candidacy was, you know, a victim of, because that was the quote unquote closest race, but I'm not even sure he cracked 40%. No. It was, it was brutal. Yeah. So. Another victim of Jeff Deal. Yeah. I mean, Look, Deal, he didn't even try. I got to tell you something, folks. We had an up-close look at all of this. Some people tried, some didn't. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Some people. Now, how about this, Marcus? Jesse Brown, will he try to run for that seat? Now, here's a a good example. Talk about not trying. Talk about not trying. Here's a guy who put 300, I understand, 300,000. I've heard 300,000 from people who would know. Of his own money. I could check, but I didn't. I, once you put a hundred grand, and I thought, "Wow!" I thought he was going to be very serious. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I like uh, Congressman Keating quite a bit. I think he's. I think we have a good relationship with him. He's been very good at this it's radio great. station. Yeah, um, he's been very good to you constituents by working with this radio station. Yep. Um, so I, I, I feel very um, close to, to Bill Keating. Um, that being said. When a man puts a hundred thousand, which turned out to be three hundred thousand of his own money into his race, yeah. you go, "Wow, the guy's serious." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, had, and besides the fact that he has that kind of disposable income, means he's successful. Yeah, right. I knew he'd been in the Marine Corps. Yet, yet, you know, yet had service there. But boy, talk about a lackluster effort. You can like go on vacation, like a really good one. Like a really, really good one for right. that kind of money. Oh my God! I've and, been on good vacation. Came nowhere near that much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But he spent the money and went on vacation. Yeah, right, right, exactly. He, Marcus, and I were desperate to have him on. We only well, got him well, on well, once. Well, well, I would. I, I, let's. I don't like that phrasing. We weren't desperate. Well, well I tried reaching out <laughs> yeah. to the guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't get in contact with him. The, the well, phone what I'm saying is we, we made an effort to get him on. He, we finally did. We finally did. Yeah. I thought he charted a pretty good performance. Yeah. Nothing to be nothing to scare him away. Nothing yeah. that would make him not want to come back. Yeah. We never heard from him again. No, no. And we were even trying to get uh get him on to talk about uh uh the, the migrant issue, which was something happening in the district right. he's running for. And like right. I'd want to get in front of as many microphones as possible. So we said, Hey, do you want to call in? Goes all oh, I'll get to you back to you at the end of the week. I'm like, no, right. well, no, I don't need you that bad. You know, I was like, I mean, it was literally I like, you, no, like, I need you that bad. And it, it was and like, the, we, and Congressman Keating, I felt like the ugly girl, the prom. I and, mean, it was unbelievable. I, I, then Congressman Keating, and and this isn't this isn't reflective on us because Congressman Keating left a meeting with two senators to give us a call 
because he wanted to communicate what he thought was going on with this to his constituents. So, I mean, there, there's some Republican candidates this cycle. There's some that tried really hard. You know, I think of Evan Gendro. He tried really hard. He, he, he ran a good campaign. Tom Hodgson, yeah. Tom Hodgson tried really hard and ran a good campaign uh, and, and came up short. Um, so, so like, you know, I'm sure the people on the Cape did too, because that was, I mean, the Cape was reliably Republican for a long time, but there needs to be a change in leadership. There needs to be a change in messaging. I think before anybody in the mass GOP even thinks about stepping forward, you know, Charlie Baker actually was in front of Jake Tapper today and Charlie Baker doesn't do a lot of national, Charlie Baker doesn't do a lot of national, uh, TV interviews. He shies away from it, but he seemed to, um, he really wanted to get in front of, uh, like he got on Jake Tapper. He wanted to get in front of a camera and talk about what he thinks is going wrong with the national party. Um, so, Hey, listen, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. Uh, I see some calls on the line. If you're on the line, stay on the line. This is uh, South coast tonight with, uh, Chris and Marcus. 1420 WBSM can now be heard on 99.5 FM. At ECK. You never know who will call in the South coast tonight. But they want to hear from you most of all. Call 508-996-0500. Or use the WBSM app to send an app, chat, text message, or leave voicemail. Hey, let's go back to the phones. Good evening. Hi, gentlemen. How are you doing? What's Good. How are you doing, my friend? Got the first part of your program there talking about the election and everything. But my biggest question to you guys is, will you be able to determine the effect that your program and your promoting of going out and getting the vote and getting candidates on, did it increase the numbers of voters in the listing area, especially New Bedford? I would say yes. I would say yes. I mean, here's the thing. I I would say yes, not not to like pat myself on the back, but I do see like, we do see the pot, we do see the metrics and I look at the numbers and there's just a lot of high interest in the Bristol County Sheriff's race. There was a lot of people looking at it. I had people that weren't necessarily all that involved in county politics. Ask me about who, like someone I, who I know well, a few people who I know well, who didn't necessarily like the sheriff, but didn't know a lot about the democratic race said, who is the best candidate to face Hodgson? I said, tune into the debate. Here's the debate and all that stuff. I did give him my opinion, but I said, tune in the debate. Here's the debate. And, and you can decide for yourself. So there was a lot of people really interested in this race. And I think providing, and, and I've, and I've since, you know, heard, cause I was covering all these rallies, people being like, oh yeah, uh, I heard you on the debate. Yes. You know, even if they hadn't necessarily heard of South coast tonight, they had heard of us on the debate and all that so i think this i think this definitely did a good job at reaching a broad audience and and getting a good turnout were you able to quantify it with the last off-season election um you know we're we're putting those we're trying to put those numbers together that that information isn't all that easily accessible uh and that's another problem so we're we're trying we're looking for it one other thing to your point Carla, um the candidates that came on the program all wanted to return yeah, mm-hmm. because they heard good good feedback about their appearances. Well, well, Kim Driscoll in particular, uh, she said it here on air the other night. Actually, she and right. she had told me this uh, off air. She had said, "Marcus, uh, you know, when I when when I came on your program, everybody that I knew in this area had told me they had heard me on your on your program." So, mm-hmm. like, it seems like. Uh, it seems like we're, we're getting a lot of interest in this stuff, and and you know, there's like people that are at least interested in the stuff are all tuning into South Coast. And tonight. the fact that we can get them back means mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't just blowing smoke. Would you, would you say though uh, that maybe thirty percent of those who could vote got out there and voted? 
Yeah, that's, that looks like the case. I heard that's a pretty good uh, uh, number because I was watching the C-SPAN. Charlie Baker was on there promoting his book, Results, okay? And uh, he mentioned something about the uh, voting public, if you can get 30% out there, mm-hmm. that, out of all those, that's, that's a pretty good number. Yeah, that's, that's what it looks like. It looks like about 30%, which I, I would agree, it seems like a pretty... Pretty decent number. Well, hey, I, I've got to hold you there because we got to take this break. If you want to call back in the third back. hour, give us if a call you want to call back okay, in the third guys, hour, give us a call. A lot of things I could talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah call, call, call us in the third hour. Call us in the third hour. All right, thanks. Bye. Dana, is everybody's lucky? Everybody's Everybody's lucky that we're here. So I think that caller asked a couple really good questions. Yeah. Um. Well, well, no, seriously, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think this, I, I think this show has been an important forum for, for local elections talk. Um, and, uh, I'm not just saying that cause I'm part of it. I, I just think, um, it comes at a good, it, the, the, the time slot's good. I think we, you know, we each have our own perspective on things, but we try to be fair and nonpartisan, uh, when we're having these guests on and, um, and I think the guests enjoy the conversation. So they come back and they've wanted to come back, uh, and, you know, just talking with some of the staff they the, that work for them, the communications people, they've really enjoyed it too. So uh, I think, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunity that we were given by the management right. and, and really by you, the audience, uh, you know, that, that keep listening. The sponsors, everybody's rowing in the right direction. Yeah. And um, the time slot has been great. The time slot's been great. It, it works well for our schedules. It works well for a lot of your schedules. And the podcast downloads have been awesome, too. So, hey, listen, we're, we're going to talk about the Ward 3 race in the third hour, so stay tuned.